to open up our Bibles. First of all, though, this is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it is all that I need. All right. So chapter 9. I hope by now you are totally touched and and just so, like I prayed, amazed at Daniel's life. We are amazed at how he has been able to deal with life. And, and when you think about um, being, being exiled at a young age, and so, of course, this is not at all the way his life is, is planned, the way in his mind how it's planned. And then he, he still is learning under his parents' authority even in exile, and then all of a sudden he's yanked out of his home and brought into the palace, and then learning all the, all the traditions and all the culture of this pagan society, this pagan empire, and how he stays so faithful to the Lord, how he makes sure that he is grounded in God and God alone. And we watched him overcome fear and and the reality of the sovereign powers of these empires and these leaders who think they are sovereign, and, and yet he stays so committed. And then, and then of course, he has this, uh, this ability to be able to, to talk to these leaders, I mean, straight face-to-face, and tell them head-on. I mean, how he... Um, talked to Nebuchadnezzar and had to tell him, you know, if you do not repent, the Lord will do what he has to do to get your attention. I mean, you know, and the Lord deals with us all in different ways. And to Nebuchadnezzar, he was a hard nut to crack. So, you know, he had to grow a few claws and grow a few feathers and eat a little grass. But the Lord was determined that he knows that a worldly power, a worldly leader who thinks that they're invincible, that they they think they're sovereign. It isn't going to work. They will go down. And how, how he then tonight, how he, he is, like, like picture this. This is what I did for this lesson tonight. Um, I pictured him because, you know, go back just for a minute. Go back to um, chapter 5. And at the end of the chapter, because this is where, remember, we're not in chronological order, but we're in the perfect order the way God had it set up here. But we're not in chronological order. So now, so now the end of chapter 5, um, we're starting with verse 29. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And then that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Now, Daniel was just put into this position, third in the kingdom. Uh, he is now, um, have the, he has his gold chain, he has this robe of purple, and he, he knows his place. And now Belshazzar is 
killed, and now Darius, the Mede, is taking over. And so everything is changing. And so as we go into chapter 9 tonight, in the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, the Mede, thy descent, was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom in the first year of his reign. I mean, we have, we have a new leader. Um, we have a new kingdom, a new empire, who is taking over the Babylonians. Remember how the Babylonian empire was going to then go into the Medes and Persian empire? And so now everything has changed. Now I look at our group tonight, and I, I look at the, the age of most of us. And can I just ask you, is there anyone who just loves it when everything changes? You know, and I, we laugh because, you know, the older we seem to get, we just, we just like it the way it is. We, we're used to it. We're comfortable. And, and all of a sudden, when our boat is rocked, I mean, it just kind of throws us a little bit. And, and remember, Daniel is not young anymore. And now everything has changed. He doesn't really even know where he's going to be in this particular kingdom doesn't know his place. Everything's changed. And so I looked at that and I thought, okay, Daniel, I mean, we don't like to change either, but when things do change, when, when they're the inevitable, when it's out of our control, when we're in situations that there was nothing we could do about it, then how am I going to handle it? Did you notice how Daniel is going to teach us another lesson tonight. I mean, he has shown us how, how he can stay faithful in a pagan world. <laughs> Isn't that today? How do we stay faithful? How do we not get sucked up into the culture? Everybody's doing it. Everybody, it's just the natural thing. It's just evolving into this, and it's so easy to get caught up in that. How do you stay faithful? How do you keep fear away? How do you dare stand up? Like when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I still love this. I don't, I don't have to defend myself to you on this issue. I mean, here he, he's taught, they're talking to the king. I don't have to defend you. I don't have to defend myself on this issue. I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to bow to you. I mean, to be that confident and that bold, and yet not argumentative, not um, debatable and picking fights and dogmatic. No, it's just matter of fact. No, I'm not going to. I'm not going to succumb to the pressure of the world. I'm going to stay faithful. I'm going to stay strong and brave and courageous. I'm going to stand on those promises and so tonight he is, you know, now he's in the middle of change. See how relevant? How does he deal with change now at this age? And he shows us. I think tonight's lesson shows how he is Daniel, how he is able to be the kind of man that you and I look at and say, 
That, that's why he's in God's work, to show us what it's like, what it, what it could be like. He's just an average person, but who trusts a sovereign God, who has learned to go into the word. He's kept, he's kept the, his Bible open. He's kept his prayer life on point. I mean, he didn't start praying when he heard about the lion's den. I mean, this was, just, this was just what he did. Every day, three times a day, he formally, he formally prayed toward Jerusalem. His prayer life, and I don't think that, that he just prayed three times a day. I think prayer is, is such a big word. I think we need to address it because in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul tells us that we are to pray ceaselessly. That means never stop. Now, we know if we have this mental idea of what prayer is, like folding our hands and closing our eyes, then we think, no, you know, that's not even realistic, Paul. So, you know, that just kind of went over my head because that's not even possible. And Paul says, yes, you pray ceaselessly. Now, not, the, not like Daniel three times a day. That, that's great. That's called your formal prayer, like mealtime, bedtime, whenever you've got your time where you set aside, you pray. That's your formal time. That's your committed time. You pray. But, but prayer really is so much more Paul's trying to teach us. And I think Daniel lived it. And this is what kind of life you now have coming out of you when you live a life of prayer like Daniel. Prayer is, is a connection. Prayer is a connection. That's why Paul said never disconnect, never, never stop praying. Because prayer is, yes, I have people to see and places to go and work to do. And like every one of us. So we can be in our little prayer corner with our eyes shut and our hands folded. We have to understand that, that it's more than our formal time of prayer. It's that connection that we have with them all the time. That no matter what you're doing, where you're going, who you're with, you're always in, it's always there in your mind. I wonder if the Lord would approve. I wonder, I wonder if Jesus is, is um, disappointed with me right now. I wonder if, if it's, it's just in everything that you do, you have a mental connection with him. Your, your spirit is connected to the Holy Spirit. That's prayer. And that's why we are never to disconnect. You disconnect, guess who now you are trusting? And it's yourself. And boy, Satan loves to get in there and have his way then. We are weak then. When we are, when we are connected to the Holy Spirit, when we're connected to him, we are strong. When we disconnect, we're weak. So now, now we see that David, or Daniel, excuse me, Daniel, he has something on his mind. He has questions he needs answered. He is in the middle of change. Let's see exactly what he does. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, verse 2, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. Now, 
when you think of this timetable, you know, we just flip in our Bibles, we go back to Jeremiah. But remember, you know, Jeremiah was the prophet that that told the kingdom of Judah they were going into exile, and he basically watched it happen. So, so Daniel and his family. I mean, they probably knew Jeremiah the prophet. They, they probably heard him speak many times. And now I think Jeremiah, the book that he wrote, I think it's, it's hot off the press. And somehow Daniel, it's now in the scriptures, and Daniel is reading this. And maybe he was so young and he wasn't really hearing Jeremiah as a, as a child. And now that he's older and he's reading the, and he's, he gets to the part in Jeremiah 25 and Jeremiah 29 where it says, after 70 years, I'm bringing you back. And you will rebuild the temple. And all of a sudden, I think Daniel thought, Whoa, you know, he calculated 70 years and how old he is. And he, we only have a few more years. And all of a sudden, questions. I want, I want answers. Daniel was a firm believer of 2 Timothy 3.16. Even though Paul was not on the scene yet and he had never he hadn't written to Timothy about this subject yet. But Daniel was a firm believer. And, and I want you to see how, how wonderful scripture works in this way. Because you know John 3.16, no problem. And you know John 3.16 is our salvation verse. It's our born-again verse. It's our saved verse. We know it, for God so loved the world that he gave us Jesus. We didn't deserve it. There was really no reason for. We had made our choice, but God wanted to rekindle, redeem that relationship so he loved us so he gave us Jesus that whosoever believes that Jesus sacrificed his blood that was shed that the father accepted whoever believes and goes to the cross and lets their savior cover them with his precious blood they'll be saved they won't perish they'll have everlasting life there's our salvation in one verse Okay, now we, we're born again, we're saved. Now what do we do? What do we do? What did Daniel do? Daniel had to, he wanted to keep growing and maturing and knowing more. I'm sure you've noticed that your Bibles are just like a treasure chest. I mean, the more you dig in, the more you just keep digging in, the more you discover and how you can study one book and then go right back and study it again and there'll be something new. You will see that if you really do read the chapter that is assigned to you for the week, if you read that chapter every day, I know for a fact you will find something new in it every day. This book is alive and it is constantly growing us. It's constantly showing us more and more so we can know more and more. So this discovery, this discovery that Daniel, he, he wants 
He wants answers. He has questions. What he does is, i got to go to the Word. Why? Because he believes that all Scripture is God-breathed. He, he would just smile, I bet, if he saw us lift our Bibles and say, this is my Bible, and I do believe it is God's Word, and I believe every word of it is true, and it is all that I need. See, he believed that. And he not only believed it, then he lived it. And we are seeing proof of what a life looks like. When you believe that this book, after John 3.16, then you need 2 Timothy 3.16. That's, isn't that, you won't forget that now. Because it's so, 2 Timothy 3.16, it's the follow-up to now, what do we do with John 3.16? Now that we're saved and born again, now what do we do with this? Just sit and do nothing? No. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that you get into the book that's God-breathed. And look what else Paul tells Timothy. It is useful. It is the book, Timothy, I want you to go. I think, Tim, I think Paul knows that there's going to be a lot of writers writing a lot of books coming up. And he just wants to make sure that Timothy, it's okay. It's okay to read other books. But, you know, I heard one time it's okay to visit other books. But there's only one book you should live in, you know. And that's true. I mean, there's, there's plenty of good books we can visit. But this book... The only book is God-breathed, and it is useful for, listen to this, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. It's just everything that you need. In fact, if you are ever talking to somebody and, and they want to debate or they want to fight or they want to be dogmatic, and this is why it's so important that you you learn and that the Holy Spirit can help you recall what you've learned at just the right time. And so you can say, the Bible says, I mean, it takes a really, really hard-hearted person to come at you. I mean, in, and there are plenty that they could come and say to you, well, I don't believe that book. Well, then what have we got to stand on? I base everything that I believe on God's word. And so Paul is telling Timothy, always go back to God's word. It is the one book that you can use it for teaching. You use it for rebuking. And you'll need that when you're, when you're a pastor. You're going to need or even a parent. Or it is good for rebuking. I, I know my, my boys just hated it when I said this. But they didn't know how to come back at me when I would say, but the Bible says... I mean, they didn't like that when they, that was the answer to, well, why can't I? Well, the Bible says, I mean, for me, it kind of was so, it was, it gave me courage to stand because I knew that the Bible was going to be the one that would help me train our children. This was the book that I could stand on and I could tell them. Whether they liked it or not, because I'm telling, my boys didn't dare say, well, you know, um, I don't like that book. They didn't dare say that. And for me, I knew I was doing the right thing. It's hard to come back at somebody when they say God says, or Jesus said, or the Bible says. 
It's good for training in righteousness. So why do we need a book for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness? What is righteousness? What, are, what, do, we, what do we need this book? After we we're saved, we need to learn now how to live right. We need to learn how to live right. And this is the book we go to. He's explained and he's, he's, he told us, this is what I expect from my children. And the verse goes on. So that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It thoroughly equips us. There's no other book that can thoroughly equip us like this. And Daniel believed it. And so he goes to the word. He is reading Jeremiah. He reads 25, 20, chapters 25 and 29. He here, he all of a sudden realized this. We're going back. Um, let's see. I gotta, I, I need some answers about this. So when you go into God's word, look at look what happened. He said, um, in verse 3, so I turned to the Lord after his discovery in verse 2 that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. He turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting, in sackcloth and ashes. So he is, when you read that, did you think, Boy, he sure takes his prayer time seriously. He wanted answers so badly that he, it says that he pleaded. First, he turned. So I turned to the Lord. And that is so true because he knows, as well as we all know, that Sometimes when we have a change or when we have a problem, that's where our eyes seem to focus in. We center in on the problem. We're, we're just looking everywhere but where we should be looking. And that's why our emotions then get bigger than our faith. And he, he knew. And so did the hymn writer. You know, those old hymns, I, I know that we've grown up with them, so of course we love them. But, but did you notice the words of what we sang tonight? And even the ones we're going to end with tonight. I mean, they're probably songs you haven't sung in, in years and years. And yet, they really speak. These hymn writers, they didn't want us to forget. And isn't that the way music goes? You get it going around in your head, and all of a sudden, then you're singing it, you're humming it, and then pretty soon the words are coming, and he keeps reminding you. And that's why that old hymn writer, and you know the song when, when you look at verse 3, so I turned to the Lord. I mean, this hymn writer knew that we sometimes need to turn our eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. And then the things of this world, the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It recenters you back where you need to be looking and focusing. So he turned, he turned 
to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer. He made sure his connection was solid and he pleaded. And then with fasting, we know with when you pray fasting, you put aside every other distraction. Nothing else matters. When you read this, did you ask yourself, when was the last time I prayed like this? When was the last time I cared so much about what I'm praying for? I want answers so badly. Or I, I just need this kind of relationship with the Lord that, that I'm connected to him. And in this situation, I am pleading with him. I am fasting, putting all else aside. I think a lot of us would be hard-pressed to say, oh, I can remember the exact day I prayed like that. Daniel is such a mentor. You want to be like Daniel? You want to dare to be like Daniel? Then this is what we need. We need our eyes in his word. We need then to go into prayer. We need to stay connected to him. We need to take it seriously. Put all else aside. Disconnect from all the things of this world in the light of his glory and grace. And all of a sudden, you start to sense, you start to sense the fact that, that he is in his place. And all of a sudden, look what, what happens. I prayed to the Lord, my God, and I confessed. He starts his prayer. Oh, God, the great and awesome God who keeps his promises he keeps the covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands. I sometime maybe when you have a, a minute, read Second Chronicles twenty when King Jehoshaphat had these vast armies coming against him, and how he too he went into prayer, and how they resemble each other. Daniel's heartfelt prayer and Jehoshaphat's heartfelt prayer. They both start out the same way. And then I went to the prayer Jesus said to his disciples, this is how I want you to pray. And we know it as the Lord's prayer. And I don't ever think that he intended for us to quote it word for word all the time. I think he said, this is the formula I want you to pray. And how, how does it start? Our Father who art in heaven See, all your focus is just on him. Hallowed be your name. And then he goes on, and you're going to see it in Joseph and in, and in Daniel. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You are relinquishing yourself to him. Your will be done I surrender to you, to you and your will. As your will is perfect in heaven, I want that will on earth in me. I am willing, I am ready for you to take over. In view of what you have done for me, I offer myself back to you as a living sacrifice. And then when you have him in his right place, you can't help. It's just like when you see him in his, in his rightful place, it's like he's got a mirror there right before the throne. And you are able to look at yourself. 
And this is how when we usually pray, we go to the Lord and we've got our hundred things that, that this is what we want and this is what we think is best for us. And, and we just tell him, and this is what I want you to do. I want you to take over here and I want you to, I want you to change them. And, and we've just got our list of what we want him to do. And, and Daniel starts out and teaching us, no, you get him in his place, great and awesome. Lord, first of all, Lord, you are in all, over all, and through all. You are great, and you are awesome. And that word, I know it's so overly used today. In fact, it just almost gives me shudders when I hear people say something about some materialistic thing or whatever of this world, and they call it awesome, and I think, oh, no. There's so many other words you can use, but awesome, reserve that word, because awesome means I am in awe. So he says, Lord, Lord, I know you are in all, over all, and through all, and you are great, and you are awesome, and I know that you stand... You stand on the promises. I know that you follow through, especially that one about how much you love, how much you love us, and you love it when we love you back and when we obey. See, then he goes, we have sinned. Did that strike you when you saw that? We we have sinned. By this time, I'm so, I'm so um, loving Daniel. I think he can't do anything wrong. And yet he knows. He knows he's, he's a sinner. In fact, he doesn't say, and why should we even be surprised that he wouldn't say we? I mean, it would have been so easy humanly, humanly, to say, you know what they did? You know, they are just a piece of work. And they have just failed you over and over. And in, in your head, you're thinking, I'm so glad I'm not that. I mean, that Pharisee and publican thing of Jesus' parable and it keeps coming back, you know. And how he, he just knows the Lord so well. He knows, he sees himself after all greatness and awesomeness goes to God. And now he sees himself and he can't help but say, we, we. He's not even blaming the Babylonians or the Medes and Persians. He's not even doing that. He's, he's saying, nope, we got to center in on this. We, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked. We have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. Oh, he's honest. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who have spoken your name in our kings, to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous. But this day, we are covered with shame. The men of, Jeru of Judah and the people of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. Now watch in verse 8. It's going to turn around and pretty much say the whole thing over again. Oh, Lord, we and our kings, our princes, and our fathers are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed, has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. 
Wow, he just lays it on the line, doesn't he? That is the way we pray. I think the Lord was just smiling. I mean, he loves it when we identify our sins, and he loves it when we say we are ashamed. We are embarrassed. As we look at you and then see ourselves, we are ashamed at how we failed, how, how we, we questioned, how we, we let our emotions get the best of us. We compromised. We did not dare stand up for you. I mean, he'll bring it to your mind. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You know what he's saying there? He says, we have no one to blame but herself. And that is so opposite of what human nature wants to do. We all want to blame everybody else. I mean, it could possibly be my fault. I mean, isn't that relevant today? And Daniel says, you know what? We're all, we're all paying the price. We have sinned against you, Lord. And you are going to make it clear to where we have sinned. And you can just hear his confession. You hear his repentance. You can just sense how intense he is about this, how serious he is about this. And we, we, we have no one to blame. The consequences that we are suffering now are because of us, not you. He's going to say it more about that later. You have fulfilled the word spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing upon us great disaster. In other words, yep, we were warned. We were told, we were told by Jeremiah, we were told about that, that if we don't repent. Well, you fulfilled those words. <laughs> and you have brought us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. You know, for a Jew, for an Israelite, you know, look at how, look at how Daniel, when he prayed three times, how he always looked toward Jerusalem. It was like home. That was home. That was, that was the, you know, where the temple was. That's where they worshiped. That's where it all centered in there. And to him, when they, when they watched them take over Jerusalem, the Babylonians, and then destroy the temple, and then blasphemy, the taking the beautiful things that represented such, such, you know, things of the Lord, and they just took them out. And remember Belshazzar at his party, his drunken party. You know, they're all using the goblets. I mean, just blasphemy. He said, nothing has ever been done like under the whole heaven. Nothing has been done like what was done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us. Yet, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. Oh, he's putting it right where it needs to be. We've got to take responsibility for our sinfulness and for our waywardness. And then when we have 
sufferings, we check and see, is this something, Lord, you want to get my attention? Because you just love us too much to let us keep going in our sin. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does. Yet we have not obeyed him. Catch it so far, you put God in his place, and you can't help them but see yourself. And you have no one to blame but yourself because you always have a choice. You've been given a power that lives within you that is greater than any temptation. I mean, you know, when you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul just says, no, don't give me that. No temptation is too great. Oh, I know you think that it is, but no, no temptation is too great. Not when you go to the Lord for your way of escape. He says that. You can't. You can't just take part of the verse or you can't just ignore a verse. No, no temptation is too great for you. Not when you've been to the cross and you've been given the power of his spirit. And so Daniel is saying, no, take Take responsibility. Now, O oh Lord, now, O oh Lord, our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand. It's kind of, this is what Joshua did too. Remember when you, remember when you did this, remember? It's, it's not that you have to remind God because you never have to remind him of anything. However, when you remember it all of a sudden, I think, yeah, he was faithful then. His faithfulness is brand new every morning. You know, Daniel said, remember. He didn't say remember, but he says, now, O oh Lord our God, you brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day. We have sinned. We have done wrong, O Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts. Turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill, our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, and have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. I think right there, he said, oh, help us. Oh, we need your help. And this is what we need. We need you to turn your away, your anger and your wrath. We need your compassion and your mercy. He, he is pretty much saying that. Because now, look, watch in verse 17. And now, our God, hear the prayers and the petitions of your servant for your sake, O oh Lord. Look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. In some versions, it says, make your face to shine upon. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not. This was such a, a beautiful verse. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous. I mean, Daniel knows we really have no right to ask you of this. We do not deserve. We are not worthy. I'm not coming to you because we, I expect, because we just have it coming. 
No, you can just, this, this passage just, I think, just oozes with humility. And we've learned from Daniel how the Lord hates pride. And he will take a, a whole empire. He'll take a whole leader. Anybody who takes and removes God from his position and takes it, he will bring them down. So we know that he hates pride. One of the things, one of the things he detests the most is pride. But oh, how he loves humility. And you see David, from the, from the second he starts his prayer, his position, his pleading, his, his sackcloth and ashes and all just, he is so humble before the Lord. We do not make these requests at all because we think that we deserve it because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. When was the last time you were that humble before the Lord? Lord, I come to you not that I'm worthy. In fact, I couldn't even come into your presence, Lord, if it wasn't for you loving us so much and sending us Jesus. The only reason I can even come into your presence is because I have been, I have been cleansed by the blood of your son. And you look at me through red blood. It's the only way you can see me as white as snow. Oh, Lord, listen. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, hear and act. You know, right there, it kind of reminds me in his prayer of how often don't we hear this when people will say, oh, thank you for praying. God answered my prayer. Or, oh, we got an answer to our prayer. And when you hear, and people are so thrilled, the Lord answers my prayer. The Lord did. The Lord answered. I mean, it's wonderful to rejoice, yes, but, but usually when someone says he answered our prayers, it means we got our way. I mean, I say this all the time. I'm still waiting for the day when someone comes up to me and says, oh, Linnell, the Lord answered my prayer. He said no. No one said that to me yet. But we need to get into that mindset that God answers every prayer. We can go to him morning, noon, or night. He hears our prayer. He listens. But according to the psalmist, do you know the first prayer, which remember is that connection, our spirit with the Holy Spirit. When is the first, what's the first? First prayer that the Lord hears from our lips, and that's our confession, our repentance, and our salvation prayer. Because then we are we are then filled with His Spirit, and there is when our Spirit and His Holy Spirit connect. Our the first prayer that the Lord hears is our salvation prayer. And now we can go into His presence any time because. Like Daniel said, not because we're worthy, but it's because of the blood of Jesus. Of your great mercy. Oh, Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, hear and act. 
always remember he listens and he acts and he answers. He, but he just does it according to his will and his timing. And he will say yes or he'll say no or he'll say, you know what? you got to learn a little bit more. So we're just going to wait on this one for a while. But he's here and he's acting. But he's just not always saying what exactly what we want to hear. That doesn't mean he's not answering. For your sake, O Lord, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. I can almost hear him say, you know, it's like us. We are so quick to say um, we're Christians. We, We wear Jesus' name. You wear the name of Christ. The thing is, you know, when you wear his name, is our life representing, and this is what Daniel's concerned about, these are God's people, and yet, and they're supposed to be wearing his name, and, and they're not listening, and they, they don't care, and self reigns. When we call ourselves Christian and we, when we wear Jesus' name, that puts on a responsibility. We wear your name. What does it look like when someone sees us and knows we're wearing Jesus' name? What are they thinking when they see us at a place or when they hear a certain conversation? When they, when they hear? You can't play that both sides of the fence game. We wear his name. That is quite a prayer, won't you say? Four to 19, what a prayer. What a model for us to look at. He has got God in his place. He has got got himself and the people in their place. Do you know that when we have a willing sin in our life, I mean, in other words, we, we know what it is. We know we're just, we just keep doing it. And, and when we have willful sins in our life, you think, oh, he hears you. But you think that, well, I call it unholy traffic. The Holy Spirit gets stuck because it's unholy traffic. Sin is blocking the way. That's why when we go, before we even start asking him for what we want or what we think we need, we have to make sure he's in his place. We have to make sure we, are, we have confessed that we have cleaned out. We've taken a good look at ourselves. We've listened to him through his word, convict, rebuke, correct, do what he has to do. And then you have, you have holy traffic working through you. I think we underestimate why I think prayers get blocked. Why isn't, he, why isn't he hearing? Why isn't he listening? Why isn't he answering? Take a look. What's blocking it? What's blocking that connection? Maybe it's you've disconnected. Willful sin will do that. It will disconnect you. That's why Daniel says, we, we have sinned. we got to make sure that we understand this. So now, now, you know, it's that 
it's that verse of Jesus when he says, okay, now, ask. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find, and knock, and the door will be open. Remember why he went into prayer from studying the scriptures. He wants answers. And because he's wise, he knows he doesn't have them. So he goes to the one who is, who has the answers. So now in the remaining verses, verses 20 to 27, look at this. While I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin, and the sin of my people Israel, making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill. While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, here comes Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision came to me in a swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. Oh, can't you imagine what Daniel thought? Oh, this is, this is great. Gabriel is going to give me insight and understanding. Don't you? There, this, I'm going to be honest with you. I thought to myself, oh, what I love. There's many times in the past couple weeks doing these chapters. Oh, if I could just, Gabriel, Gabriel. Give me some insight and understanding. Wouldn't it be just great? And then I thought, that's terrible. I have the Lord himself living in me. And the Lord himself is so much greater than an angel, even the archangel Gabriel. All I have to do is, Holy Spirit, give me insight and understanding. And he can see your heart and my heart and know if we really want it or not. And it's obvious Daniel really wanted to know. And God saw that. And so Gabriel came said, I'm giving you insight and understanding. Look at verse 23. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. I mean, Gabriel wasn't just, you know, using the words highly esteemed or maybe different versions have different words for that. He just basically says, God can see your heart, Daniel. Because you have remained so faithful in the, in the worst of conditions, when you have evil going all around you, when you, when you needed answers for God, King's visions, you prayed and you, were, you opened yourself up to be the vessel and you dared stand in front of these sovereign kings who thought they were so great and you with courage told them the truth. You're going to get cut at the stump or tonight you're going to die. I mean, that took courage. So when he said, you are highly esteemed, I'll tell you, it is so worth working at it. It's so worth taking a look at Daniel's life and working as hard as he did to have a heart like he had because the Lord sees that. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. 
77s are decreed for your people in your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, to anoint the most holy. <laughs> That's one verse, verse 24. It's loaded, and I bet I read it over 100 times. It was, it was, it was tough. I didn't get it. And, you know, I, I, I found out that there are so many, when it comes to, the, to prophecy, there are very few theologians and professors and that who, who agree. Very few. But the one thing that they do agree, and I, I think this is really important, and, and see, I'm not going to just make sure that you understand every little, um, every little word in this, but I think I am going to bring to you, this is what I took from it, and this is all I need to know and understand. To me, this was insight and understanding. They all agree that 77s, seven years, not days when you see 77, it's seven stands for years. Not seven minutes or days or months, weeks, it's years. So 77 years. When you see seven, it's years. Seven means seven years. So you multiply that. 490, 490. You know, this is, we see this so often in Daniel, haven't we, haven't we learned that there's, there's really two prophecies. There's, there's one prophecy that Daniel is prophesying that's going to happen in a hundreds, two, three, four hundred years. And what's so enlightening for us as we look back at that and see, oh, stunning how every detail was fulfilled. I mean, that's not, that's not coincidence, that's the Lord saying, don't forget that. That's what I do when, I, when, when there's prophecy. It happens exactly the way it's said. Now, all right, 490 years. And, you know, I don't know how to figure this out. So I go to the masterminds that know. But from the time of Nehemiah, when Nehemiah rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem, after they went back, until Jesus was crucified, guess how many years? 490. So the first prophecy is, it looks like evil is winning. It looks like, it looks like these empires and these leaders, it looks like they are just ruling the world and they're just taking the world for a ride. And then, it's like whenever it gets so, like you think, can't handle it anymore, the Lord's perfect timing. Because he says to Daniel, 77s are decreed. It's decreed for your people. It looks so bad right now. It looks like evil is one. I know it looks like, but hold on, hold on. This is the prophecy, Daniel. 
Look for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring an everlasting righteous, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal a vision and prophecy, to anoint the most holy. Can't you see who that is? That's Jesus. This is Jesus. He's saying in, in hundreds of years, I know it looks like they're winning right now, but I'm bringing in the anointed one. I'm bringing in the one who will give people a choice. They can be saved. They can be bought back. They can be redeemed. They can have their sin dealt with. Remember we talked about that. Your sin, every sin is going to be dealt with. And it's either going to be dealt with at the cross under the blood of Christ or it's going to be dealt with Jesus face to face as our judge. Sin will be dealt with. And we've been through that. We know that for a fact. But for them, they, they needed, Daniel needed to hear this. He needed to hear that, you know what, this kingdom, you know, when he, when he was studying the scriptures and then he went into this prayer, he needed to know, give me reassurance that you win. And so he says, in 490 years, you watch the anointed one, the ruler, the ruler who will in sin atone for wickedness, bring an everlasting, bring an everlasting righteousness. That's what Jesus came to do, and he did. Now it's up to us if we want to accept it and receive it. But he did his job. No one understand this from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes. There will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. In other words, yes, Jesus is going to come, and, he's, and he is going to, he's going to take care of sin. He's going to deal with sin. He's going to make a way for us. But he's going to do it in the middle of the Roman Empire. He's going to, and this is right there, it says after 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. It will look like that the Messiah, the Messiah, when he hung on the cross for three days, look at the disciples, look at the people, they walked away, their heads hung low. Even though Jesus had told them that, yes, I'm going to die, but three days I will rise. All they could do was center in on the fact Jesus was going to die. And he wasn't going to do what they wanted him to do, which was redeem them from the Romans. And then they just blocked it off. But isn't that us today? I mean, we watch the news. We think, oh, everything, everything's just going nuts. And, and the world's out of control. And, and everybody hates each other. And everybody's mad. And everybody's got a short fuse. And it's just like that today. It looks like evil is winning. But we have a Savior. And I want us to know that we, we can center in on and we can look to the right and to the left and see our problems and we focus in on that. But he's saying, lift your eyes up. You have got a Savior. And not only do you have a Savior, you have got a future that is in cement. You're living in a world that's rocking. 
And yet, if you really listen and really go into the scriptures and you really ask the Spirit to show you what you need to know, he is basically saying, yes, it's the trenches yet. But you can live in hope because the Savior came. The Savior did what he was asked to do, and he willingly did it. And we can receive that. And because of that, we can live knowing that our future is in cement, in concrete, immovable, will not change. That's how we get through because we know that there isn't anything or anyone that can take that away from us. So he's telling Daniel, okay, the prophecy, the Savior is come, the anointed one will come. But it's not that everything's going to be perfect then. In fact, um, 70 years, at, at 70 AD, the Romans are going to destroy that temple again. And it looks like that world order has taken over and evil is won again. And so he's now, we see the prophecy for us. These same words, these same words can be, can be so perfect for the prophecy that Daniel had for the next three, four, five hundred years. And we can look back and say, yep. But the same prophecy can be for us today as we look at it and say, yeah, I see it happen. And instead of fear, I think we should start to be excited. In, in fact, you can start to say, bring it on. Because you know, the, the, when this starts happening, we know what's around the corner. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And he did that in 70 AD, but we also know that in our future, we've talked about it in previous chapters, there's going to be another leader who's going to rise up and who's going to try for another world order. And look what he will do. And, if, and that's why, you know, come spring, we're just going to have to go through Revelation. I just want to prove to you that Daniel wrote hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ was even born and how he wrote the exact thing that revelation that John was told to write and said, I saw with my own eyes, I heard with my own ears. Jesus said, write this down, John. People need something to hold on to. Jesus was the hope for Daniel back then. He came. Jesus is our hope for our future and we know he's coming back. This should be exciting. And so, no, this is not pretty. When you think about this ruler who will come destroy the city and the city, the end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. So seven years, one seven is seven years, and Revelation talks about seven years and talks about the first half and the second half. It truly does. And then listen to what Daniel said. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, you just can't deny that, that this prophecy is for us because it, it was given in Revelation. It is coming. 
in the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. The first half of the tribulation, we've talked about it. If you are not grounded in God's word, I'm telling you, he is going to, he is going to just sucker us right in. People who are on the fence, people who are playing church, people who are really not grounded, who have not studied Daniel, the book of Daniel, and are not prepared and are not ready, they're going to look at this leader as, oh, thank you, God, for sending us such a wonderful person who's going to bring peace on the earth. Let me tell you, this old earth is never going to have peace until the thousand-year reign when Jesus is reigning on this earth. So don't even think about it. But I'm telling you, if you aren't grounded, you're going to suck it right into it. First three years, it's going to look euphoric. And then he's going to put an end to sacrifice. And he is an offering. And on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation. Remember we talked, talked about that with the king who then put his god Zeus in there and then sacrificed a big old pig to it and it's so dis- it was just such a desolation such a such a um abomination and just when you think it can't get any worse and 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 we know that the antichrist is going to do the same thing he's going to set himself in the temple and he's going to expect everybody to worship him and he thinks he is supreme and just when you think it just can't get any worse this is how our god says that's why hold on because it's happened so many times in just one book just one book only nine chapters so far and he's repeated himself over and over how can you not see it until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. That's the best line. That is the best line. Because just when we think that evil is one, when it can't get any worse, you know what our Lord says? That's it. And it is so exciting to watch how he's going to get rid of evil. And he is just, I used to sing a song that said, evil will be banished to eternal hell. At just the right time. And I mean, this is, this is going to be the final. It's going to be the final one. But we should, we, this, it shouldn't even surprise us. All that's going to happen in the revelation shouldn't even be surprise us. Because we've sat here on this day. On a Tuesday night, studying this particular book, and we have heard. So what's going to happen? Shouldn't even surprise us. We already know. Because we're prepared. We're ready. He told us. He doesn't want his children afraid. Until the end, that is decreed. God knows exactly the second when enough is enough. And that ruler will be put to an end. Just like every other earthly ruler and earthly kingdom. And then we will be a part of his kingdom. Remember how the visions that Daniel interpreted. There'll be a kingdom that lasts forever and ever. Daniel says, yes, forever and ever. 
That's what we hold on to. That's what's in cement. He's given us promises that we can stand on. Standing on the promises of Christ my King. Through eternal ages, let his praises ring. Glory in the highest. I will shout and sing. Remember last week we said we can't sing when it's filled with fear. Oh, we can sing the notes and the words, but our heart won't sing. Until he comes again, we should have our heart singing. And our heart should be singing because of what we know and what we're sure of and what the Bible says. This is what Daniel did. This is why Daniel is who he is. Because he was just normal, but he went to his Bible. He went in prayer. He saw himself for who he really was. He knew how badly he needed his God. He was willing to listen, even when sometimes it wasn't pleasant. But he wanted to know the truth. Do you want to know the truth? I want to know the truth. I don't want to be surprised. I want to be ready. I want to be prepared. And this is no coincidence at this time that we're in this book. I tell you, this was quite a lesson, I would say. Prayer. I mean, really, if you, if you would ask Martin Luther, if you would ask Martin Luther or um, some of these people, I was reading different quotes, and they said their greatest insight came. Their greatest insight came in prayer, not in other books, man-written books and all these. No, their greatest insight and understanding came from God's word and in prayer when they stay connected to him. I couldn't believe how many wonderful God-fearing men said that. And women who really believed. You want to be like Daniel, then the, it's, it's right there. It's, it's just so right there. Oh, let's listen. Let's make sure. Heavenly Father, thank you for this lesson again every week. Every week it says something that we need to wake up and to really take notice. Lord, I personally, when I think of my background, when I think of what I used to battle, the things that made me insecure, the things that... that I thought I had to be and, and produce to be of worth. Father, thank you for just, from your word, just take that and put that aside. And all you needed to do was show yourself to me. And then when I saw you for who you were, you then put a mirror in front. And I saw myself the way I truly was. And Lord, you took me and you showed I had worth. You showed me through John 3.16. You then showed me through 2 Timothy 3.16 that I could have a relationship with you. Father, it is so personal. It is so relevant. It is so real. Oh, Lord Jesus, your presence has been here. Surely the presence of the Lord has been in this place. There is no doubt about it. And yes, you are great. And may our hearts sing that because we believe it. And Lord, may we continue to sing of our Redeemer and his wondrous love. 
May we keep singing that so we are reminded. Father, may we stand on your promises. But we can't stand on what we don't know. That's why it's so important, like Daniel, go into the book, the one book that is God-breathed. We can count on. It's the book that's got every answer we need. And then, Lord, as we're going to sing, Lord, thank you for that sweet hour of prayer. Father, help us to see that you always are listening. May our heart be like Daniel's so that you can't wait to give us the answers that we need. May we want your answers, not ours. May we take a no when we need the no. May we take the wait when we need to wait, when you've got, you need more time with us. Father, may we see that you know. You are so good. You are so good. And it's in our Savior's name we pray. Amen.